Big J. Okerson is a stand-up comedian, radio host, and podcaster. He co-hosts The Bonfire with Robert Kelly on Sirius XM 95, Mondays through Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. He also co-hosts the Legion of Skanks and SDR Show podcast, both via the Gas Digital Network. And he just put out his latest stand-up special. It's titled Dog Belly, and you can check it out through his YouTube channel. Jay, thank you so much for the time. How you doing today? I'm doing good. Great speaking with you, man. So uh, this is a really cool moment in time for you because your new comedy special comes out earlier this month and you're getting a lot of love in terms of other comedians just talking about how much they enjoy you. You're obviously making the rounds on podcasts right now. This has to feel pretty good for you to uh, to be receiving this love. Not that you're going to let it go to your head or anything. No, but it's it. No, it's very, very nice. You know, it's it's an interesting thing comedy because i didn't realize you know as you're just kind of toiling away doing it you don't really realize you're becoming a veteran <laughs> so it has been nice to see all like the comics especially the younger comics and stuff the newer people the people started after me who were like loving it and helping promote it and stuff which has been pretty amazing was there a specific moment or somebody coming up to you where you're like wow i guess i am not necessarily an elder statesman per se not on the the david tell level but you're like, I'm somebody established right now that younger comedians are turning to to try and learn lessons themselves. I think just, I mean, some of the the, the best guys working today, kind of like I said, because they were, I was already kind of here when they started coming up, have been really like uh, uh, sweet about it and stuff. And uh, and then really it is like the the veterans, like hearing the things from David Tell. I mean, the whole thing to do it at our festival, uh, Skank Fest, was David Tell's idea. And then, uh, you know, Ari Shafir, is also a person who, um, you know, he's my friend. So it's weird to say I look up to him, but I mean, like he's a, uh, you know, I really uh, appreciate what Ari's done in this business. And the fact that he jumped in and helped me produce it was like as touching as anything too, that he believed in it that much. How exactly did he help? I know he has executive producer uh, credits on the stand-up special. So what was he able to contribute to this? In In every possible way from right down to, like hiring the people to do it. I didn't know. I was so naive to this uh, kind of stuff, especially the self-production of it, that I was like, well, I guess when we're going to self-produce it, I guess I have to go hire a crew of 50 people and figure out who has to do what and what kind of sound guys we need. And, and Ari was the one who told me, he's like, no, 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 You just got to get a producer and the producer handles all of those things. And uh, but I mean, Ari right down to the wire was like setting up chairs and seating people the night, the day of the shows. So, I mean, he was really like hands on. He did the scouts with me to find the location properly and everything. He was amazing. It's really cool to see Ari get his moment as well with his new Jew special. I mean, that is one of yeah. the best stand ups to come out in the last couple of years. So oh, I lo yeah. love to see that guy finally get his due. I know he's he's been through the ringer with the, the Kobe joke and whatnot, but uh, he's but, been grinding for a long time now, too. No, no, he's doing great. Yeah, and it was. That was, you know, such a setback thing with the, uh, you know, when the world turns on you for a couple days, you know, yeah. the industry sometimes will turn on you for well beyond that. <laughs> yeah. The people only seem to turn on you for a little bit. Then it's like the matter of like, it's, it's the repercussions of it that suck. But I mean, he couldn't have come out with something better than he did with Jew and, and how they just kind of put him back in the in the forefront and reminded everybody why he was here. It was, it was killer. 
So uh, you're obviously close with David Tell. You've opened for him before. You mentioned uh, Skankfest and uh, just his contribution to that. I love David Tell, too. Obviously, saw him at Cap City, gosh, less than a year ago. And it's literally the only time that I've ever been roasted by a stand-up in my life. And it was from David Tell. I took it as a badge of honor. But yeah. what have you learned about the art of stand-up from getting a, uh, to be around somebody who's been doing it so well for so long? It's priceless i mean what he's done I, I got the benefit of being a young comic like doing nine hour car rides with david tell while we're going to do a gig in virginia beach or wherever you know north carolina and taking these long rides and it's just kind of watching his just observing his process in general of just like how his mind works you know and, and i couldn't say i've figured anything out about uh dave because that's kind of the excitement of watching him is like, I really don't know what his recipe is or what it is he's going to do. You know, it's like very impressive how he does comedy. So just like watching that, like, and his like ability to stay current uh, as long as he's been doing it and just have, you know, the modern reference and just like the way, you know, he, he of course will tell you that young people hate him and he's too old and no one likes him and he sucks, but it's quite the opposite. Uh, young people love him. He's fantastic, and he's just like uh, he's a machine. I, it's just one of the most unique, you know. David Tell and Kurt Metzger, I always say, are the most unique comedy writers I've ever seen in my life. Like the way they operate, like I, I can't figure it out. I couldn't, I couldn't write like a David Tell joke. You know, what I mean, I couldn't write something in his style. How do you go about crafting a joke? Do you spend time day or night writing, and then you're workshopping it on stage at whatever your home club is? Now, is your home club the Comedy Cellar? Um, the stand, the comedy cellar, the club, those are the two clubs in New York that I work pretty much primarily, okay. uh, when I'm home, but, uh, no, it's not really like the, like seeing coming up with like, uh, like new stuff now it's, it's mostly the way I do it is through crowd work. I kind of like talk to the crowd or I think of something funny during the day and I'm like, let me see if I can play with this on stage at all. But it's always kind of like the, the trial and error right on stage with it. Like I just try to go out there and do it, especially if it comes off of crowd work and it reminds me of something. And if it goes well, I'll just kind of, kind of keep it in the set. I would assume that the Sirius XM show and the podcast serve as a sort of ideas lab too. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is also funny too, when you're doing something on a broadcast and a party kind of goes like, Oh, this could be a bit, I don't want to roll too much on this on the show. Cause you know, <laughs> It's that weird kind of uh, mix you have there. Yeah, no, it definitely is like subject wise and everything. But I have to like, whenever I've tried to like skillfully craft humor, like jokes on paper. And this was a million years ago when I was trying to do that. But whenever I would do it, I mean, I would come back with just, you know, I'd read it over after you're done. And it's like, oh, is this just a shitty airplane joke? You know, <laughs> you go about airplane food or the subways suck or some kind of thing. Like it's just, always come out kind of like, hacky because i think i always kind of feel like it's like homework still almost which i hated school always yeah. and it's like that's not fun to sit there and concoct jokes for me at least you know it's like i like to have the actual response right away so i'd rather say it try it and then we'll find out if it's funny or not you know what i mean like the sitting there and and doing it i feel like i just want to get through it fast that's why it ends up becoming just like you know just basic misdirections or simple things that i've heard a thousand times over but I work much better if I go off on the fly. My mind's working quicker. I take a little more chances, I think. Like, 
throwing in references that people, you know, you know, 80% of this crowd might not get this reference, but the 20% that do, it's worth it sometimes, you know? Yeah, I was watching uh, somebody perform a couple weeks ago and they made a reference that clearly nobody in the audience got. And they were trying to be, they were trying to go over a, a proverbial line to at the same time. And they're like, oh, what is it too soon, too soon? And everybody was just kind of looking around like, no, it's not necessarily too soon. We just don't know what you just said. I like that the 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 audience, like the, it's the audience's fault for not laughing at something sometimes is like uh yeah. that's such a funny thing and i've also had uh you know because i'm like uh dirtier i guess you'd say or whatever but like in, in that world it's funny when i've had people open for me on the road and they've gone like you know just said some heinously grotesque thing or something i just didn't have much of a punchline to it and then when the crowd doesn't laugh they go oh boy if you think that's bad I, you don't know what kind of show you came to you're getting ready to see big jay okerson you're like don't say that like, <laughs> i don't think i'm doing what you're doing there exactly that's one of the enjoyable things about the art of stand-up is that the audience is the great equalizer i mean i've seen guys that are looked at as some of the best in the business who tell a joke that's still in its infancy perhaps and it falls flat because even sure. if somebody is coming to a show ready to laugh at whoever it is the bottom line is, is if you're not funny, you're not going to receive that positive feedback. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's also, I've, I've taken two on the stage now. I've really enjoyed lately doing, uh, especially because I'm working, you know, I have to craft kind of new stuff now because the special's out. So I have to move away from all that material completely. And it is funny, like doing it a lot of times, like I've been doing it long enough, I've been doing 25 years now, comedy. So it's like, as long as I've been doing it, I, uh, is like i've trust now myself that if i thought of it in my mind like whatever i thought of was funny you know mm -hmm. what i mean like when, I, when i came up to within in my head i'm like it's definitely a funny idea i think that it comes down more to like i didn't find the right way to express it or get it out to the audience or or hit like a mass group like that and so what i've taken to doing is very funny is if it doesn't work on the like setup punch that i've concocted in my head to then go back and start from the beginning of it in front of the audience and over explain it to them, <laughs> which has been like a lot of fun doing it. He goes, now nah, let me, let me take more time with this. Cause I feel like I rushed it out. You didn't feel it. You weren't getting it. And then I just over explain it every reference I make. And, and it's funny because you start end up finding more pieces and more things to it like that. Is there a subject that you're working on really hard right now without giving away any part of the joke, but is there a subject you're working really hard on right now to try and figure out? No, no, nothing like uh, in particular here. I feel this kind of just comes as it comes. You know what I mean? It, it always, I, I hope that every new hour kind of like represents where I'm at kind of like right now. It's, you know, the newer specials got like, there's definitely obviously dirty things in it and I curse a ton because I'm a white garbage idiot. But like uh, uh, through all that though, it's like, you know, this the the special has like, you know, I don't go heavy in the quarantine stuff or COVID or anything like that, but it's definitely like of those times of kind of what was happening and the story of me getting yanked off stage where historically I may have, I've had albums or, or things that are like exclusively like dirty humor, pretty much, you know, like, or it's like sex stuff and things like that. And it's fun to kind of watch like without even trying to get away from that stuff, just organically, it's like, well, this, 
you know, this go around is not really like a wild sex stories or sexual embarrassments. This is more like, man, I've had I've had these people come down on me for this and I've gotten, you know, weird like uh, pushback from this. And those were kind of the stories more that that resonated on this special. Hmm. So you know, it's kind of fun to see like what the next thing will be. So you just spent the last couple of weeks here in Austin. You were a part of Moon Tower just for Laughs Comedy Fest, which I feel like you are a part of more years than not. And then you also uh, did some shows with Ari and others at Rogan's new comedy club. Uh, first, before we get into the specifics of uh, those two entities, uh, I'm just uh, curious to know where Austin falls for you in terms of places that you love performing. Oh, top. I mean top three probably especially now i mean they've really made it a comedy mecca it was always when i first started uh like headlining on the road and going on the road a bit i remember like cap city comedy club the original location was one of the most like revered places people wanted to get to which was uh and i remember finally going to play and really feeling that like yeah it's a really cool town and now it's become with the exception of the violent danger that is sixth street at night uh <laughs> besides that it's uh it's really is like uh, it's become great. It's 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 almost feels like it was a warm feeling when I started going to Los Angeles from New York and like visiting out there and starting to get that like, oh, it's uh, going to L.A. is great. I'm going to see the, you know, my 10 friends, at least that I have over there that I don't get to see very often, you know, my my 10 L.A. friends. And I feel like Austin kind of has that now. If I'm going to Austin, I'm like, you know, I feel like there's some people I have to not tell I'm coming because I don't have enough time in the day to hang with everybody and do everything. So I do. It's, it's really become like a, a homey feeling down there for sure. Yeah, that's cool. And the New Cap City, which has been reopened by the Helium folks, which are uh, obviously based out of Philadelphia. Like I yeah. loved the old club. Don't get me wrong. I saw so many memorable shows there. That new club, they spare no expense. This is a beautiful space. It's a little bit removed from downtown, so folks may forget about it, but uh, they're doing a top-notch job there. But uh, what Joe Rogan has done with the comedy mothership is something special, too. I've been there a couple times at this point. For you as somebody who's obviously been in countless clubs throughout your career, uh, just how nice is that a venue to uh, to get to do stand-up at? Oh, it was unbelievable. I really like everything that was said before I got there. It was and more. I, I mean, he in speaking to Joe, like the the advice he took or the suggestions he took from like, you know, very well-known comedians on kind of like what would make the room perfect. Like he's done everything. I can see what you could say would be better about that club. Uh, you could fix. It's all like uh, it's done amazing from the stage sizes to the room sizes to the the tech he has going in there. It's really it's it's beautiful. And really, it feels like it's a club for comics, which is great, too, a lot of times, you know, like. What do you mean by that? Well, I love that, like, you know, there's a a weird thing. Some clubs do not want to hire, uh, be it comedy fans or certainly comedians themselves to work hmm. at the clubs because they're like, oh, they're going to be distracted there for the wrong reasons, I guess they think, or whatever the thing may be. I've always found clubs run a lot smoother when the audience, when the staff is fans or aspiring comedians. And I'm pretty sure for the, I think 90% of Rogan staff is like young comedians from the area uh, locally and everything. I think he still gives them like, if they have to like dip out at one point to go to a spot somewhere else, they can and then come back in. You know, I think he staffs heavily. So there's not like a, a fall off. It just seemed to be running pretty seamlessly when I got there, like for as new as it was, like 
There's going to be very few, if any, hiccups. Yeah, that formula can maybe go in two different directions, but I feel like when it's done right, you just get more passion into the place. Like the comedy, I don't know how the comedy seller does it, but the comedy store in L.A., that's how they set things up too. And that's obviously one of the most reputable spots in the entire country. And I know Joe, uh, he hired a, a number of different people from the comedy store when it was going through really bad times during COVID. And uh, clearly uh, they're really haven't been all that many issues with the new club, which is great. I mean, they've hit the ground running. They're booking it solid every weekend. Joe and, and his various crews do their shows. I know you were a part of Kill Tony uh, yeah. a week or two ago. That's obviously uh, something special happening there is on Monday as well. And look, I know we can make jokes about Dirty Six Street right now because it has been rough for like 10 to 15 years. I mean, I've literally walked watched like a hang, uh, an angry homeless dude walking around with a machete in his hand, like past groups of people. And it's like, this dude at any second may snap and start hacking people up. That element has subsided at least a little bit through the first month plus of the club being open. Yeah, yeah I think just over in general, like a couple of moon towers ago, it was like, scary out there with the homeless thing where they were all like uh like camping out on the on the under the bridge there and everything it was pretty wild no it's definitely uh gotten much more like timid now for sure but it's definitely an adventure still yeah oh, like yeah. you get there friday saturday night man we go we hit the uh always after the last show of moon tower like let's go hit the p terry's and see a couple of fights break out <laughs> the old p terry's yeah, P. Terry's, Taco Cabana. There are some uh, some classic fight spots. Uh, late night, yeah. Austin, Friday and Saturday night. So uh, uh, P. People... Terry, it's such, it's such a it's such a phone booth of a place. You know, it's so small, and no one moves forward after they make their. It's just like you see what the problem is. You see no one's correcting the problem, and you're like, this is going to be the thing. This is going to be the thing that sets them off, and it does every time. Oh, gosh. So people watching the video right now are uh, going to see you wearing that Philadelphia Eagles hat. Now, we're recording this the day of the first round of the NFL draft, even though it is not going to air on the radio show and then the podcast until the following week. So uh, the Eagles are obviously one of the best rosters in the NFL right now, fall just short of that Super Bowl title a few months ago. What are you hoping to see out of your boys uh, in the first round tonight and then throughout the course of the weekend? Um, you know, it's funny. I'm so bad with like college. Like, I don't know the college players until this moment and they start telling you who to get excited for. Yeah. So I just kind of get excited for who they tell me to get excited for. I guess Jalen Carter's my guy. <laughs> but uh, um, but also I just like literally a half hour ago was just reading up like some of the stuff and he apparently has behavioral issues, which you know, Philly seems to love for some reason. <laughs> Well, you, get, you, want, you want your you want your defensive lineman to have behavioral issues too. It d it depends on the position. You yeah, don't yeah. want your uh, quarterback to have behavioral issues. That's a problem. But your nasty defensive linemen who are fighting through three hundred pound blockers to try and get at running backs or quarterbacks, those are the guys you want to have attitude problems. Yeah, you just want to have them on the team the whole season though, and not like in trouble for you know, punching a hooker or something crazy. <laughs> That's true. You know, I watched that with like, you know, I'm a huge Sixers fan too. And, uh, you know, I watched that with, I always feel bad actually for uh, John Morant because I feel like there's, he doesn't have like a Larry Brown, like Allen Iverson. He's, he reminds me so much of Allen Iverson in his gameplay and his like, uh, his problematic behavior. It's a very, very similar thing, but like, I don't think he's getting it. I feel like Iverson started to get it after a while when Larry Brown came in. I started coaching. 
Yeah, maybe we need Ja to go off on a practice rant. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're talking about practice. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, but Iverson was worth uh, the kind of trouble. So, yeah, it's just that kind of thing. You know, you don't want to lose players to, uh, I mean, domestic stuff. Whenever they have, like, attitude problems, there's always some other thing, like, lingering there, and you don't want to lose a player to that. But I also don't want some Utah dork either. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's one other guy that uh the, the Eagles are being connected to in the draft if he's still there at 10, and that would be Bijan Robinson, who yeah, was the running back for the Texas Longhorns. If y'all get that dude, he is the opposite of uh someone with character issues. He is uh an awesome, like an even better dude than he is a football player, and he's one of the most can't miss guys in this year's draft, even though he plays what is supposed to be a disposable position. He is that special to where it would be worth it to take him at 10. Yeah, I've learned over the because uh, I've had so many heartbreaks with like, I fall in love with the running backs always. And I've had like, you know, they, they come and go so fast sometimes that you're just like, oh, you're not supposed to get attached to them. Like running backs really are just like it's more about the line, I guess, than the actual position of running back, like making the holes for them. But like, uh, yeah, they kind of come and go. But yeah, I was. Like when Miles Sanders went, I was like, eh, "What are you gonna do?" Who's your uh, favorite Eagles back of all time? Running back of all time, yeah. uh, Westbrook, Brian Westbrook, yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. It was just like again, just the way he came on. He was a walk. I don't know if he was a walk on or if he was like a fifth round or six or whatever it was. He was. No one knew about him. It was just Andy Reid picked him up because he lived by Villanova and used to watch him play, and he just kind of grabbed him on like in the late rounds, and he was just. He t- that Super Bowl season, I believe it was with McNabb, was they were having a bad opening of the season, and he had like a uh, a punt return for a touchdown to turn the whole season around. And he was just like, he was amazing. My favorite player on the Eagles ever is Brian Dawkins. Hmm. Um, I love is that right? Yeah, the safety. Yeah, yeah. I named my dog after Brian Dawkins. It was uh, but is he was Brian, such a- Brian Dawkins. <laughs> yeah. This is- Brian Dawkins but uh Dawkins was such a fun player again like I like that super intense football like you know attitude and then also didn't curse at all huh I mean like it was I thought that was kind of interesting because that's what's funny now they're so mic'd up now on all these sports that like it it does peel away a level of professionalism you believe is going on (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean like you're just hearing like they're talk so much i actually get bummed out when they show uh you know jalen hurts will do the in the locker room he does like the speech after the games and they're just they, they keep like you know it sounds like there's something wrong with the audio because you know he's like we know what we gotta fucking do and get this shit done we don't fuck yeah. around there and you're like dude like relax a little bit like kids are watching Jalen is another one of those really good dudes though too oh yeah yeah no he seems I mean he's he's doing all the right things and got that biggest contract biggest contract obviously this is very relative and and very few people are actually worth that sort of money but do you think that that's a contract that's going to pan out on the Philly side of things like do you believe Jalen Hurts can be the guy to uh lead y'all back to the promised land Oh, yeah, for sure. And then also uh, I'm fully expecting to be hurt by him and let down and walked away. <laughs> That's the Philly thing. Um, right now, I said right now I'm in full playoff mode with the Sixers, and it's like, where is it going to fall apart? Because it always falls apart. You know, we're uh, Philadelphia's 
I think three championship games this year or three, uh, you know, championships this year and no trophies. So it should be interesting. All right. Last question, Jay, because Philly fans have a, a reputation and it is an earned reputation. This is the, the same group that uh, booed Santa Claus is throwing batteries. At, what's that? They threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Snoop. Through you know, funny, Santa Claus, they've thrown batteries at uh, injured players before. What is the most messed up thing you've seen as part of a Philly crowd? Um, well, one, I always I like to make the joke I've said before a lot. It's funny. They always say that. Like when you have like the uh, NBA packages or things like that, sometimes you have to watch the feed from the other team. <clears throat> and at, without fail, almost every game that's an away game that you hear, they go, uh, let's not forget this is the audience that uh that that booed Santa Claus and threw snowballs at Santa Claus. And I'm like, somewhere out there in the world, there's a guy who was in that Santa Claus. You know, like, Santa's not real. They threw snowballs at a guy who came out and did that job that day. And he gets no, they just call him Santa Claus. I'm like, how about that guy who had the shittiest day of his life that day? <laughs> he gets no empathy whatsoever or sympathy. Um personally, the the two things I've seen that were nuts, both both Eagles games. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if it was maybe the same game even, but the one was halftime. Halftime show at a Monday night game I went to was uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates, which hometown heroes to Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Come out and play a few new songs, but they apparently they had a new album out at the time, and they opened up with uh i don't think i remember the name of the song too i think it was called never make a promise that i can't keep and it was just this soft ballad they came out with and the audience had no idea what was going on they were confused by it and uh it wasn't even booing they were just like you just heard the camaraderie of talking and not listening and in mid-song daryl hall like stops the song and turns around to the band and gives them a couple of quick cues and he turns around and starts man eater from the words and the place went electric. <laughs> like they just came right out of their conversations. And we're like, Oh, this is what we were waiting for. That was just, that, that flip was pretty hilarious. And then the one, uh, hold, the on, big- hold on, hold on real quick. When, when they started man eater, did you find yourself shaking it to man eater a little bit? Of okay. course. Oh yeah. I, my, both my fists went up in the air. I stood up out of my seat. <laughs> um, and then the other, I think it might have been that same game, was because it was against the Cowboys. And Michael Irvin, I think it was his last game he ever played. I think he, he got nailed. He was down. He was down he for a while. Game. Yeah. He they was down his, for a while. Uh, well, they took his uh, face mask off the helmet. Yeah. Yep. And they put him on the stretcher. They take him out. And as they're taking him out, uh, everyone's, like, you know, clapping and, like, cheering for him that, that you know, they're giving, like, they're doing the right thing, it seems like. And then Michael Irvin just goes and puts the thumb up and it rained booze on him. Like 60,000 people just raining booze down on. I'm like, no. He's like, I'm okay, everyone. They're like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> I mean, we can laugh at it now because Michael Irvin turned out okay, but that really is one of those moments that people think about with Philadelphia fans. And I think it's shitty when they do shitty things, even though I find it funny. And then I found myself, I went to a game several years ago now. I think it was the first game I brought my uh, girlfriend to. And uh, it was Victor Cruz. Uh, I think it was the 
maybe the year before the Super Bowl season, but the Victor Cruz got injured bad mm-hmm. uh, in the end zone. And when they took him out uh, on the stretcher, they were cheering, you know, same thing with Michael Irvin cheering. And then he gave like the thumbs up or whatever. And then they cheered like, you know, like they gave him like a real like big cheer. And I remember looking at my girlfriend and going, the city's gone soft, man. <laughs> like this isn't the play. Like not that I think we should have booed him, but the fact that they didn't, I was like, "Wait, what's happening here? Are we we can't let the Raiders take over for the meanest people." Changed our personas. I was talking to your buddy uh, David James a few months back, and he told me a story about you guys being in Buffalo, and the, the people in Buffalo were just being complete savages about something. I forget what it was. They, it was just an unruly crowd that night, maybe. And so David, and I think he said you got involved in this as well. You, you guys just started giving them just buku crap on how bad the bills were and how the bills could never get over the hump do you remember that yeah the bills and the stupid city of buffalo and the fact that their air smells like cereal because general mills is there (laughs) that's actually a good thing yeah that's that's like uh that's something uh, on the pro side when the air smells like lucky charms it's not bad very true well uh he is big j okerson he is a stand-up comedian radio host and podcaster check out his new stand-up special now it is called dog belly you can get it on jay's youtube channel jay thank you so much for the time today man really appreciate thank it thank you so That's much for having me. me thanks to gentleman jesus for the intro and outro music hear more of his work at gentlemanjesus.com thanks to you for hanging out for more of the show and to connect on social media visit booksonpod.com talk to you next time on books on pod <laughs>